Greetings and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 50 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have our friend of the podcast, Dick Foth, with us back for a session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we jump into the interview with Sam Alberry on what God has to say about our bodies. Dick, so excited to have you back with us again today. Thank you. I I need that talk on what God says about my body. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's a phenomenal interview. And uh, yeah, Sam, it's a, it's a poignant one. We talk about gender and gender dysphoria and uh, yeah, and living in an age in the Western culture where um, people say sex is just physical. Um but in this, in yeah. the idea that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, just a phenomenal time with him. And um, yeah, enjoyed, enjoyed spending some time with Sam. Dick, got two questions for you. Um, first question is, how do I navigate the competing demands in leadership? Some say my allegiance should be more to the team I serve on the highest administrative level, but I spend more time with my team and feel more connected to the local team I serve on. So the question is, um, should my allegiance be to the strategic team, yeah. the, the, the what we call the high level or the 30,000 foot view or the local team? Should my allegiance be to one or the other? And my answer to that is absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the differentiation is what the, what, first of all, I would not, probably frame it in terms of allegiance, but I think the question is a legit question. And it, it, I think it means how do I feel about yeah. that group or how close do I feel? Hmm. Um, generally, in my experience, the strategic team with whom I meet, whatever, you know, once a year, once a quarter, whatever it is, can't compete time-wise with the people that I that I deal with in the trenches who yeah. are the the people who have my back cuz sometimes I don't feel the strategic people have my back they don't get it <laughs> I have been on both sides of that equation yeah. so so I understand that uh, it was interesting moving from being a pastor of a church in a vibrant university town to being president of a college yeah um the biggest thing that happened there was that I had two constituencies as a pastor. One was the congregation and one was the board. Hmm. When I went to a college, I ended up with responsibilities, uh, communicative responsibilities, to the, to the national funding people, to the accrediting association, to the state, to the church that owned the college, to the faculty, to the staff, to the students, to the donors, to the alumni, you're dancing to so many songs that you fall down in a heap, so, mm. so many tunes. And so you, your, your allegiance is to the mission yeah. and to the whole. The, the feelings connected with it are directly related, I think, to how much time spent mm. and, and how much impact I feel I have. Yeah. And so I would say, um, rather than letting that be or allowing it to be a tension or a frustration, I think think of yourself in terms of value added. Hmm. I listened to a fella who was a vice president of a major 
billion dollar corporation here on a podcast sometime back. And he said, over the years, my I used to say, what can I work into this group and solve? Hmm. You know, what can I do when I walk into the room? And he said, I've changed that. He said, now I walk in and say to myself, in this conversation, is there something I can do or say that will be value added hmm. to the discussion? So I think if we if we change the paradigm yeah. of of what we're looking at, that 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 can help us. Good deal. The second the, their second question is: Do you have any advice on how I could discuss this um, with my leader? I guess it's the tension um, that they mentioned in the in the first question: this competing yeah. demands. How they could discuss that with their leaders? Well, I think first of all. When you tell part of your story, it helps your leader understand who you are. And by that, I mean, most of us uh, never lose our first love, hmm. which tends to be in the trenches. Yeah. I'm looking at Aaron Santameyer, who has a P. We're on Zoom, by the way, folks, uh, who has a PhD in nursing, yeah. which in and of itself is relatively unusual. And then you work with people who had HIV AIDS, you work with people who have leprosy and other infectious dermatological conditions and all of that. And even though your role now is shifted, your heart goes there. I'm guessing this. Yeah. It just is. You never lose that. So to be able to have that conversation with the person at the strategic level and ask them about theirs, ask them about... This day, right at this moment, if you could leave this role and do anything you want, what would you do? Hmm. Where That's would you question. go? That's a good question. How would that work? I asked a bank president that that one time, just a couple of years back here in our town, and he said I would <laughs> I would be a high school teacher and coach. Wow. And then he paused and said, but at this stage in my life, I couldn't survive economically on that. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, one of the one of the things that 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 frames this for me about how you see yourself in the situation, uh, Bern Clark, who's been on this program a couple of times, when he ran the Navy, he was responsible for a hundred and twenty billion dollar budget a year wow. and eight hundred thousand, eight hundred thousand personnel around the world. Right. But if you asked him what he did, yeah. you're on the golf course and somebody said, so, Bern, what do you do? He would say, I work with and teach young people. So I think get past your role and look at your function and allocate how you think about it that way. Good word. Good and, word. And uh, I, I would even ask the leader, and this, this is the last part of our question, right? I mean, we're, we're into the, yeah. we're, we're coming in for the landing right now. Okay. I would say, ask your leaders in, in that strategic group, how in your experience or career did you handle the, t- the tensions between being in a strategic group and being in a tactical group? Wow. Because, uh, you know, generals tend not to be black ops people. Yeah. They're not jumping out of planes in halo jumps, high altitude, low opening, landing yeah. in the dark with people that at the Pentagon they called snake eaters or water walkers. <laughs> and and uh, so uh, visionaries especially feel uh, a tough time with balance. You know, how do I balance this? I would just say, forget that your life will never be balanced. It's, it's how you allocate your time at the moment. And, uh, 
Don't get frustrated by tensions. Your mm -hmm. whole body works, as you'll hear in yeah. this next segment, because it's in tension in some way. Yeah. Your muscles operate opposite of each other. And uh, one of my favorite instruments is the violin. Hmm. It's the, it is the closest instrument to the sound of a human voice, i.e. a soprano, yeah. of any instrument we have. Hmm. And if you don't have tension on the strings, you can't sing the song. Yeah, good deal. Good deal. Dick, always appreciate your wisdom and insight. Thank you for um, spending some time with us today. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Sam Alberry on his book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, and a fascinating conversation and a poignant conversation for, for the time we're living in. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. So excited to have a new friend with us today, Sam Alberry. Sam, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Sam, will you go ahead and um, I've spent the last uh, few weeks reading your books and uh, listening to your podcast. For those who have not read, read your books and listened to your podcast, will you share just a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm from England, um, been a Christian for about 30 years and have been serving as a, as a pastor and as an apologist over the last sort of 10, 15 years or so. And yeah. I'm in the process of trying to get a visa to move to the States to work for a church in Nashville. So okay. um, that's the plan at the moment, just waiting for the government wheels to, to turn, which is taking a while. Yeah. What's the challenges of being in a, some of the challenges of being an apologist in the, in the world we live in today? Well, we're not short of opportunities, that's for sure. I mean, really the sort of apologetics I'm interested in is what is what is causing people out there angst and how can we bring the, the love of Christ into that conversation? Um, sure. A lot of challenges with, you know, I, I'm in a very Western context and I think the big challenges with, with all the cultural shifts that have happened in the last 10 years or so, yeah. Christianity really has become, in many people's eyes, a public enemy. So hmm. it's gone from being, you know, when I was a university student, Christianity was quaint, old fashioned, weird. You'd kind of yeah. pity Christians. Yeah. Um, but they were sort of, you know, harmless in their own way. Um, whereas I think in many campuses today, Christianity is seen as, as dangerous, hmm. Um, hmm. unloving, unjust, and dangerous, and a wow. threat to people's well being, to their mental health. Wow. So it's a challenging context for, for, for us to be Christians yeah. facing some of these kinds of attitudes and questions. But I think it's a, it's also a very fruitful time as well for the same reasons. Yeah, a very, very, very great opportunity. Sam, we're going to uh, just uh, have a discussion today a little bit um, about your book. Um, the book, What God Says About Our Bodies. What led you to, to write a book about that um, in the world we live in today? Yeah, two things actually. Both both those halves of my ministry life each um, gave me the impetus. So, from an apologetics point of view, so many of the issues that we are confused about in the Western world today have something to do with the body, um, hmm. gender identity, and issues of sexuality, of body image, all those sorts of things. And I was finding pastorally within the church, again, similarly, a lot of issues people are struggling with yeah. are something to do with the body. So, yeah. and kind of looking over the, the, the fence and seeing what 
some of our Catholic friends have been doing over the years and thinking they've been very attentive to a theology of the body in a way that we haven't. And hmm. so I thought, well, I, I need, I've got a gap here in my own thinking. Um, maybe there's something in this we can be usefully exploring. So yeah, that was, that was the aim. And it's, I, I knew the Bible had lots to say about our bodies, but even as I got into this, I had not appreciated just how much the Bible has to say about our bodies. Hmm. Um, it's it's rich yeah. stuff there in the Bible, but I just don't think we've been noticing it for for a while. I think we've we've not really needed to, um, hmm. perhaps, or we've not felt we've needed to. Hmm. But I think the the times in which many of us live now make it an urgent area of understanding. Yeah. And to have the courage to write a book um, about God's design for our bodies. You you just shared that, um, you know, in some of the universities where Christians are considered, you know, um, yeah, an enemy and uh, and dangerous to be around. It takes a lot of courage to write a book um, from a biblical perspective in the the world we live in. Well, it may just be stupidity. Um, (laughs) But uh, we'll we'll find out. (laughs) But uh, I mean, I'm writing. I mean, the book is I'm really aiming it at, at Christians. Um, yeah. I, I want to help the, the body of Christ to, to to enjoy the assurance of, of what the Bible has to say yeah. about yeah. our bodies. And I hope it will equip us to then be outward facing and to serve our, our friends and neighbors. Um, yeah. Certainly. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, it's, it's, it, it's, I found it very valuable and, um, and, and put a lot of words um, and scripture and biblical principles that I had never brought together. Um, and it was valuable just to read and um, just to grow in my understanding. What were some of the ways the Bible guides you and your understanding of the body, our bodies and the importance of our bodies? Yeah, there, there are some key foundational truths that, that shape and frame that um obviously the doctrine of creation is 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 obviously significant yeah. um and you know we, we have to start there we we have to see that our, our bodies have have not come about by accident they mm. they have been created by a, a loving god um yeah. in the language of, of david they our bodies have been fearfully and wonderfully made yeah um that has to shape how we see them um, David actually says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So every one of us, whatever else we think and feel when we look in the mirror, hmm. actually what we see in the mirror is a reason to praise God. Wow. Because he made us and yeah. he made us fearfully and wonderfully. That doesn't mean we're perfect or flawless, far from it. Yeah. But our imperfections don't mean that we weren't fearfully and wonderfully made. Hmm. So that's key. I think the other thing for me that's been very, very significant is really digging into the significance of of being told you are not your own hmm. you've been bought with a price therefore honor god with your body hmm. i'm just thinking okay my body now belongs to jesus yeah um it is his body it's not mine now it's yeah. his and you know when you own something it has a certain amount of value when you Hmm. steward something for someone else it actually gives you more of a sense of responsibility for sure when i'm looking after something that belongs to me i i have a certain amount of care that i take but if i'm looking after something that belongs to someone else i i'm far more concerned not to harm it or or break it and realizing my body now belongs to jesus means okay this is that gives me even more responsibility to to hmm. think about my body in a good way. Yeah. Well, 
you also share that our bodies um, are not random and they're not arbitrary. And uh, what are some of the reasons that that take real recognizing we're fearfully wondering made, we're not just random, it's not an arbitrary thing, um, specifically in an age where gender identity is in the and seems to be in in the media's forefront. I don't know if it's, it's in our the true front, but at least in media, um, as my children are getting older, um, it's a question you know that we we talk around uh, at the dinner table, um, mm-hmm. questions they come home from from class and, and things they see you know on the internet and and on media, but it's a conversation. So this idea that we're not our our bodies are not random and arbitrary. How does that? Why is that so important in, uh, in the age we live in? Yeah, I think the age in which we live typically thinks that who we are is is almost entirely to do with who we feel ourselves to be inside. Mm. And so that sense of the self that we perceive mm. um, shapes, <clears throat> excuse me, how how we see ourselves, and and that is what determines who we are. Whereas if if our bodies are not accidental, but they are created, then actually our bodies are part of God's gift and calling to us. And they actually do have something to say about who we are. Mm. Um, There is something objective and physical. Um, It's not everything. Our bodies don't wholly define us. Um, We know in the the Old Testament, in in 1 Samuel, God says to to Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Mm. Um, So we're more than our bodies, but we're, we're not other than them or separate from them. Yeah. Such that we could conceive of our identity wholly apart from our bodies. Hmm. So, and it's just interesting, it's just something I hadn't really thought about before I, I studied this, but, you know, the, the creation of Adam in Genesis 2, God God begins with matter. Hmm. He forms Adam out of the, the, the soil from the ground and then breathes life into that matter. Mm-hmm. So he didn't make some self called Adam. He didn't make a personality or a psychology called Adam hmm. And then find something to put that 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 spirit or that self into. Yeah. So I think the very way people think today about you know, well, I'm I'm in the wrong body or something like that, is assuming an anthropology that is just not there in the Bible. Um, hmm. That the self is not prior to and separate from our physicality. Um, we are wow. not imprisoned souls. We are animated flesh. Wow. Um, so. That makes a big difference. Um, yes, it does. The, the, the fall means that our experience of, of who we are is, is going to be confused. Hmm. Our experience of our physical bodies is not going to be straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, our bodies have been affected by the fall, so that it is going to cause us pains and problems and, and angst and shame and, and all the rest of it. But our bodies are still a gift and a calling. Yeah. Wow. So from an apologist, I mean, you've done so eloquently shared that if someone would come up to you, maybe you're in a public university and many of uh, the people listening into this or, or sharing, you know, sharing the gospel, those, and so what if, if someone came to you and said, well, I, I think, you know, it, my body is arbitrary. How do you begin to weave in a response to that and from, you're a pastor, it could be a pastor or apologetic point of view, but how would you respond if, if someone said that to you? Yeah, I think I'd I'd want to probe a little bit and ask them why they think that and what they mean by that. Hmm. Um, and I think you know I'd, I'd want to try to show them that they may believe that and sincerely believe it, hmm. but 
they certainly won't be fully living as if that's the case. And I might talk about the fact that, you know, if if someone injures my body, they have injured me. Hmm. They've not Hmm. injured my property. They have injured me. Yeah. Um, And therefore we, we can't separate ourselves from our bodies Hmm. that much. Yeah. Um, They are, they are us. Yeah. Um, if a, if that person was married and their their spouse cheated on them, it wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't be enough for the spouse to say, "Well, it was just my body having sex with someone yeah. else." Yeah. Um, no, you were. Yeah. Um, if if it affects the body, it affects it is you. Yeah. So there's a tighter connection there between who we are and our our bodies than we we typically think. Wow. And I think I'd I'd want to to say to this person, you know, actually. The Christian understanding of us having been created means that none of us are here by accident. Hmm. None of us are unplanned from God's point of view. Hmm. Um, he thought us up yeah, and he chose to make us. He wanted us to be here. Yeah. And that includes our, our embodiedness. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's actually good news for them that their body isn't arbitrary because it means they're not arbitrary. Yeah. And that there's a hope that there's definitely a hope there, um, for yeah, sure. That yeah. they have a, an innate dignity from yeah. the fact that they've been made by God. They really do matter. Yeah, and that's that seems to be a word that you share. Dignity. That seems, to, at least in my context, seems to be less and less. I hear the the use of dignity less and less. Um, and uh, I don't know if there's a connection there or not. You you share also that, and you shared about our bodies being fearfully and wonderfully made, um, but not. And also not pretending that everything about our bodies are, are good or are good. How do we balance that? Um, they are fearfully and wonderfully made, but I'm getting older. And, uh, and it's it, not that it ever was perfect, but in, it's, it's, <laughs> it's uh, a lot more creaks than I used to have. So how do we balance that, that it's fearfully and wonderfully made, but at the same time, yeah. maybe it's not all good? Yeah, and uh, things... They're not trending in the right direction, are they, as we get older? Um, <laughs> no, they're not, my friend. No, um, they're not. Well, I, I take comfort from the fact that the very passage that says our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made is written after Genesis 3. So this mm. is not something that only applied before the fall, and now we've got okay. to kind of see if it's still true. David wrote that of his own fallen body. Mm. So um, his imperfect, and, you know, David, we know, profoundly misused his body. Hmm. Um, it, it was a vehicle for some horrific sin. Yeah. Um, and yet even that, in one sense, that defiled body had been fearfully and wonderfully made. Hmm. Um, so that that I, I'm living in the same world as David when he says I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Hmm. Um, I don't have to pretend everything is, is as, as good as it should be or could be. Um, yeah. And the passage isn't saying that. Um, It's not denying the reality of our frailties and the ways in which the fall has affected our flesh as part of the wider creation being subjected to frustration. Um, But I'm I'm still fearfully and wonderfully made. So I can't, I can't idolize myself, but I can't write myself off either. Yeah. And finding that balance in there. So Mm. my mom says, um, getting old is not for sissies. And so I think my body... (laughs) 
I think my body is uh, uh, attesting to that um, on those days. I, I, you know, I used to, I used to consider myself a runner um, and now I'm a jogger and now I'm, I'm moving faster than walking. Um, but it, it is definitely, as you said, not trending in the right direction. It keeps getting slower, not faster. So anyway, you mentioned also that Western culture, um, Western culture's view of our body, it, it, not defining us in any way, has led to the idea that whatever we do with our body really doesn't affect us. Can you unpack that just a little bit more on on how profound that idea that our Western culture view of the body is not defining, and then how we can kind of do whatever we want with our body and and yeah. in any way? Yeah, I mean, we see this reflected in various parts of the Western world. Um, it really is an extension of that that earlier point that I am who I feel myself to be inside and, and that's yeah. what is fully determining. But, you know, you think of movies like Avatar or Ready Player One where it's possible to be fully living your authentic self, mm -hmm. not in your physical body. Hmm. In the case of Avatar, you're even in this the body of a different species, but you can that doesn't in any way take away from who you are. You can still be fully maybe even more authentically yourself in that other body than you would have been in your own. Hmm. So it's telling that we we are drawn to those kinds of stories For at the sure. moment. Um, yeah. But again, we 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 can't absolutize that, absolute, absolutize that. That's yeah. a hard word to say. <laughs> um, because we don't, at the same time, we do know that our body, our body is not fully separate from ourselves. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, when when someone is is abused, that is a desecration of someone's personhood. Hmm. It's not just injuring their body; it is assaulting their dignity. It's it's yeah. assaulting their personhood. Yeah, which yeah. is why things like abuse are so traumatic it, it hmm. you know if you scratch your knee it hurts but it's not right. necessarily traumatic right but if if someone is abusing our body they are abusing us yeah, yeah. because our, our body is us so yeah. in interestingly in first corinthians 6 one of the passages that has so much to say about this paul uses you and your body pretty much interchangeably mm -hmm. um so he's again he's He's assuming those that there's two sides of the same coin there. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm always looking for ways if I'm speaking to people who are, are not believers about this kind of stuff. I'm always looking for the ways in which actually they they are reflecting a greater truth than they profess to. Hmm. Um, what are the ways in their own life actually they're not living as though their body is entirely separate and inconsequential? Yeah. We also know and and again. One of the best-selling books at the moment on Amazon is is the Body Keeps Score. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Body Keeps the Score. Yep. Um, which again is reflecting the fact that we are integrated beings, and yeah. so what is going on with us psychologically and emotionally is going to be reflected in our bodies. Yeah. And yeah. what is going on with our bodies is going to affect our psychology and our our emotions. Um, yeah. We we know biblically we're we're meant to be psychosomatic holes mm. we're meant to yeah. be integrated and, and unified so yeah even our secular learning is showing us that the, the body is so um you just can't separate it from 
for sure. what is going on in other aspects of our being. For sure. You, you shared uh, authentic self from a Christian perspective, um, a biblical perspective, let's say that. Is there a, what, how would you define authentic self from a biblical perspective? Is that a fair question? Yeah, I think it is. Um, and it's, it's one of the problems I think we have today is that we are, we're trying to find authenticity in the wrong place. Um, mm. in, in some cultures and generations, you, you find your authentic self in the context of the community to which you belong and the role that you are assigned and the place that you are given. Um, today, you, you find your authentic self by looking within and mm. figuring out what the impulses and longings and intuitions of your heart tell you about who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we see in the Bible, we, we don't get to understand our authentic self until we encounter our creator. Um, so I think of the woman at the well in John four and mm-hmm. at the end of that conversation, she goes back to her people and she says, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Wow. Could this be the Christ? There was something about what Jesus said that made sense of her mm. in a way that made it obvious that he was not of this earth. Yeah. So there's a sense in which you you only truly understand yourself when you are in the presence of your creator, because only God actually has access to the full information about who we are. We, yeah. we just aren't qualified, yeah. um, which is why the identities that we come up with for ourselves never fully fit that then it's not trying to wear clothes that are the wrong size it just doesn't it just doesn't work yeah so we we need god to show us who we truly are wow that's excellent excellent and another question i have for you uh, as i was reading the book was you are how does a biblical view of our bodies inform our views on sex and intimacy and the idea that having sex with someone is, as you kind of shared earlier, and that the idea of having sex is just something physically, but how does a biblical view of our bodies inform, yeah, our views of sex and, and intimacy? Yeah, it, it should inform our view of those things profoundly because the Bible has so many amazing things to say about that. Um, it, it shows us, again, that sex isn't just physical. Hmm. I mean, it's something that is meant to involve the entirety of our personhood. Um, It is a way of giving our entire self to somebody else. And so to try and make it physical is actually to, to distort the very thing it's meant to do. Um, Mm. And it it actually inverts it um, Mm. becomes about me receiving physical gratification rather than about me giving the entirety of who I am to somebody Mm. else. So again, it gives, it gives the light of the idea that it's just the exchange of bodily fluids. Why, why be so hung up about it? You know, if if nothing else, we can learn from the Me Too movement that it is more than just physical. Yeah. Because again, the the repercussions of sexual assault yeah. are more than physical. Hmm. Yeah, um, sure. Sexual assault affects the entirety of of the person because sex itself is meant to involve the entirety of the person. The abuse of it and the profound harms done by the abuse of it are a clue hmm. as to what the right use of it is meant to be affecting. Hmm. So, Mm. and when it comes to to intimacy more generally, um, I I think we can, we can see certainly around us. And I think we see this actually in the Bible as well, that you can have lots and lots of sex and not be experiencing intimacy. Mm. Mm. Um, I I think of King David, um, 
I wonder if one of the reasons he could say to Jonathan, your love means more to me than that of a woman, hmm. isn't because, as, as lots of people today would say, well, that must mean David was gay. Um, right. So much as the fact that we know David had a really screwed up view of women. Yeah. Um, we know he had many, many partners. And yeah. maybe what he was actually celebrating in his friendship with Jonathan was actually there. I actually have intimacy with Jonathan hmm. um, in a way that he wasn't having with the various lovers and mistresses and, and wives that, that, you know, came through his bedroom. Yeah. So um, intimacy is more than physical. There are forms of intimacy that are, not, that are nothing to do with physical intimacy. Yeah. Um, but we've, we've so collapsed our understanding of sex into our understanding of intimacy that, that we find it very hard in the Western world to imagine that there is any intimacy that is non-sexual. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so again, the Bible can really help us with that. Yeah. Could you, could you take a minute or two and help, help us with that? As far as yeah, far as I mean, like it's interesting. I think that the Bible gives us a, a far broader array of ways to experience intimacy than our culture does. In, mm. in the Western world, we've, we've really funneled intimacy down into romantic and sexual intimacy. Okay. Um, but in the Bible, we see that actually there are other categories that have got nothing to do with, with sex and romance. You think of friendship in the Bible is a really intimate category. It's yeah. a fairly casual idea in our own context. Right. Um, Facebook friend is just someone who has access to your homepage. That right. is so far from what the Bible means by a friend. In the Bible, wow. a friend is someone who, who knows your soul, hmm. who knows the inner you, um, hmm. And so it's a soul-to-soul -soul relationship. Okay. Um, Jesus said to the disciples, no longer do I call you servants, but I've called you friends. Yeah, and then he says, good. because all that the Father has told me, I've passed on to you. In other words, hmm. friendship for Jesus is, is built around disclosure. Okay. And he says, because I've fully disclosed what's going on to you, that makes us friends. Yeah. Um, if we define friendship by disclosure, how many friends do we actually have? Wow. How many people are we actually being real with? Who do we actually spill the beans to? Because hmm. that is, in the Bible's term, that is who your friends are. Wow, that's and that's, that's intimacy. That's challenging. That's challenging. Well, yeah, we think about the, the way that the Bible speaks about the local church being, being a close family, that the number of times that category of, of close family language is used of brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, again, yeah. speaks of a of an intimacy that we are meant to enjoy within the, the community of God's people. Wow. I appreciate that. Appreciate that very much, Sam. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about, because you, you, you share about it in the book is, is gender dysphoria. Um, and this is a, like I said, as, as a family, something we've talked about as a family, um, how does God's design as a man and woman um, speak to gender dysphoria? And, and what would be a Christ-like response to someone facing um, this challenge of, of struggling with a gender dysphoria? Yeah, it's a very significant question. Um, I think the Bible accounts for us why someone could experience gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. um, again, we creation has been subjected to frustration. Our bodies are part of that creation. Right. We don't have straightforward relationships with our bodies. It's you can see how someone would be in the situation where they feel so alienated from their own flesh. Hmm. So the very fact that the Bible shows us how that can be the case means of all people, we should be the most compassionate. Okay. 
because it's our worldview that says, yep, we're going to have these kinds of issues. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean we affirm the thinking that that often goes along with gender dysphoria, but it, it means that we do recognize the pain. Okay. And we're to be people who who sympathize with those who are who are hurting as, as mm. Christ himself does. Yeah. So I think we want to come alongside when we see someone going through something so exquisitely painful, we we want them to know they're not on their own. Hmm. We may not know what it feels like to go through that particular form of pain, but we should be expressing some kind of solidarity as people who who also have broken bodies. Yeah, it's a good word. So we want to to hear them. We want to sympathize with them. Uh, we want to stick around and say to them, "Listen, as, as long as you are going through this, I'm going to go. Th- I'm going to be here with you." Okay. Um, but ultimately, we we need to point them to the fact that. Any form of bodily brokenness that we experience is not going to be remedied by what we can do with our own bodies. Okay. Uh, we, we can't fix ourselves. We know that. Okay. Um, so when it comes to something as, as deep and, and painful as gender dysphoria, it would be theologically, it would be very naive to think, well, if I just rearrange the body to how I feel it might fit, hmm. that's not going to ultimately solve things. Because again, we know as Christians, there's a far deeper brokenness behind that gender dysphoria and okay. whatever we can add and subtract to our bodies is not going to deal with that deeper issue. Okay. Um, our only hope is, is the ultimate bodily brokenness of Jesus hmm. um, because it, it's only through his broken body that we find any measure of healing. Yeah. And you know, we 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 note with significance and wonder that that it was in his own flesh that Jesus bore our sins. Hmm. Hmm. So that is the ultimate example of being in the wrong flesh. He who knew no sin became sin for yeah. us. That's that's the ultimate dysphoria. Hmm. But he went through that for us. Hmm. So that it, you know, we would find in him ultimately a Romans 8 language, the redemption of our bodies. We, we may not be free of some of these struggles in this life, but we, we will have perfected, redeemed bodies in the age to come. Yeah. And that's where our ultimate hope lies. Sam, for maybe a, a grandparent that's listening in or a parent um, that's, that's listening in and they have a, a, a grandchild or a, a child and, um, and a grandparent and a parent that, you know, this, you know, I can think of my parents, if you talk about gender dysphoria, it would be like so far out of their, you know, their, their realm of understanding. What wisdom and insight could you give to maybe a grandparent or a parent that um, has a grandchild or child that is, has brought this and is having, facing this challenge? How can they respond in a, in a, a compassionate way? Yeah. I, th- I think Matthew 19 is a very significant text because um, Jesus in the space of only a few verses says on the one hand that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Hmm. So that Genesis one reality is reaffirmed by Jesus. Okay. And he then says just a few short verses later that some are born eunuchs. Hmm. And so the fact that we are made male and female doesn't mean there's no complexity. Okay. It doesn't mean there's no pain. Okay. It doesn't mean that our, our relationship to our, 
biological sex and our sense of gender is going to be straightforward. There, there can be all kinds of issues there. But at the same time, the, the fact that some are born eunuchs doesn't mean God hasn't made us male and female. Okay. So we, we need to remember both of those truths. Um, okay. Knowing that some are born eunuchs will mean that we are attentive to the various ways in which, again, people experience confusion and complexity and hurt. Okay when it comes to gender and biology and sex and that kind of stuff. But remembering that God has made us male and female means that we, we don't throw out all the categories of what it means for God to have made us male and female. Um, the presence of complexity doesn't obliterate that distinction and that, okay. that kind of that pairing you see throughout the Bible of, of the man and the woman. Okay. Um, so we neither affirm the kind of thinking that's going on in the Western world around us, but nor are we unsympathetic to those who experience gender dysphoria. Okay. Um, we, we seek to, to come alongside as fellow sinners, as fellow sufferers. Yeah, that's a good word. I appreciate it very, very much. Sam, one last question for you. What, what is something that um, uh, maybe you wished I asked or I should have asked? Um, it would have been valuable for me to ask, but I didn't. Oh gosh, I've never been asked that before. That's not fair. Um, <laughs> well, I guess you you could ask. I'm always interested if if I'm talking to someone who's been looking into a particular area. What's the one thing that that has most stood out to you and affected you personally? Okay. Um, and the answer to that would be that I've been looking at this topic of the body for the last five or six years and. The thing that has most ministered to me, and this just may be personal, is if, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, if my body belongs to Jesus, mm -hmm. the only person my body has to be pleasing to is Jesus. Wow, that's a good word. And the body that is pleasing to Jesus is not necessarily the, the kind of body that you'll have on the front cover of a fitness magazine. Right. It is a body that is consecrated to him. Hmm. that is offered to him in his service. That is a, a sacrifice that is pleasing to him in Romans 1, uh, 12, hmm. verse 1. So that that's helped me because I've, you know, everyone experiences some form of body shame. I'm, I'm no exception. And there are times I, I feel that self-consciousness, you know, hmm. heading to the beach, everyone's going to be taking their tops off. There's that yeah. kind of moment of some anxiety at times. Yeah. Um, so that, that's helped me actually profoundly to think, no, 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 my body does not have to conform to what culture says hmm. a body is meant to look like. It actually, it, it just has to be pleasing to Jesus. And he's a far kinder master yeah. of our bodies than our culture is. Yeah. It's, it, that's one of the interesting things. So, you know, I specialized in, in dermatology. And so I see people that come in, they, they, they're trying to do a lot of things to change their body and look a certain way. But at the same time, we have certain part, part of the population that says, well, my body doesn't have any value and it doesn't, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And people, they spend a lot of money, um, um, you know, with injections and different things, trying to change the way their body looks, but then saying that, it, you know, it really doesn't matter. So it's one thing, as I read through your book, that's where I kept coming back to was, 
this kind of dissonance or something that didn't it didn't correlate um, with with our bodies, as you said, our bodies folk our cultures focus on our body, but at the same time, saying our body is not important when it comes to comes to other areas. So, interesting, interesting stuff. Sam, will you pray for us? Will you pray whatever whatever direction you would um, mm-hmm. like and um, felt led to pray for the audience that God will use mm-hmm. um, your wisdom and your insight um, um, to encourage those who are listening today. Yeah, I'd love to. Father, we are grateful to know you. We thank you that we're not stumbling through life on our own, um, but that we have your presence with us. We have your grace upon us. uh, And we pray that we would keep coming back to that grace, Lord. There's not a single day, actually not even a single hour, where we're not in great need of that grace. And so we thank you that we can have confidence before you. We pray for those who are particularly weary, and heavy laden, that they would find fresh rest in Jesus. Even today, Lord, we can't come to Jesus too many times with our need. Um, He will always receive us. He will always welcome us. So help us, Lord, to keep coming back to him.